morning. Happy Fourth of July weekend to you guys. Uh, my name is Matt, and I'm going to be continuing our series that we started a couple weeks ago called uh, Behind Enemy Lies, uh, where we are looking at some of the most common lies that we're, we're tempted to believe, uh, that our enemy is trying to get us to believe so that uh, we will miss out on the good promises that God has made to us. God, he loves his children. Uh, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to rescue us, to bring us into his family so that we can be adopted as his children. That's a lot of love. And he's made promises. He has, he has a good design for our lives. He, he wants it to go well. But his promises, they're conditional. If we will trust and obey God and endure in that obedience when things are hard, when they don't go the way we want them to go, when it doesn't make sense, uh, when we face opposition, if we keep trusting and obeying God step by step, then the promises, the good promises that our Father wants to give us become our reality. And so endurance is ter- turns out to be a really key part of experiencing the life that God wants for you. And our enemy, Satan, he knows this. Our enemy is not other people. It's not um, circumstances. It's not luck or chance. Our enemy is a very powerful angel who's at war with God and uh, who wants to destroy all that's good. And as you read the Bible, you, you learn this. In our culture today, that can sound a little bit crazy, but um, it's not. It's just the truth about what we're facing. And our enemy, his primary weapon is lies. That's how he fights. He lies and he gets us to believe lies. And we start thinking things and we start feeling things. We start wanting to do things that just bring trouble and problems into our life. And so that's why we've been looking at some of the really common lies that we can believe that can kind of detonate at just the critical time you know, kind of blow up our faith moment when we're about to see our circumstances the way God sees them and we're about to take a step of obedience and a step of faith, a step closer to the good that God wants to give us, that's when these thoughts, they strike. And so the first week we looked at um, the enemy thought, it's too hard. Uh, The next week we looked at another one, which was, I'm too tired. Maybe you've thought these things. Last week we looked at, uh, the thought, it's not what I want. And this week, we're going to look at a new one. It's a very pernicious lie. It's, uh, it's not fair. It's just not fair. And maybe you don't feel like you say that much. I don't say the word fair a lot. But I do say, that's not right. That shouldn't have happened. They shouldn't have done that. I do think about justice. And maybe you do. Maybe you, you feel like things are unfair sometimes. I'll tell you who thought things are unfair is the Golden State Warriors. Golden State Warriors play basketball. I don't know if you watch basketball, but I like basketball. And NBA Finals were very interesting this year. Uh, the Golden State Warriors, this is Kevin Durant, uh, they were playing for their third championship in a row against the Toronto Raptors. And man, it did not go well. Uh, the first round, their star center, Boogie Cousins, he tore his quad. So he's out. The second round... Uh, this guy, Kevin Durant, uh, he actually pulled his, his, uh, what is this? Uh, calf. Calf muscle. No, the Achilles was to come. <laughs> First the calf muscle. And then later on, one of their star shooters, Clay Thompson, he pulled his hamstring, he came back, and then he blew out his knee. This guy, Kevin Durant, who's probably the best player in the world, he came back in, in one of the last games. He was playing great, making three pointers, and then he tears his Achilles tendon. 
And so injury after injury ended up costing them the championship. And I'm sure that, you know, Warriors fans and Warriors players were feeling like, man, this is so unfair after all that work to go down like that because of injuries. And, you know, it is unfair. You know, life is unfair. There's a lot of things we experience all the time that don't seem right. And you've experienced it. Circumstances that have happened to you that are outside of your control, they're not your fault. The bad things, they happen. And it's just like, man, it's not fair. Uh, in our jobs, oftentimes you work hard, try to get a promotion, try to get a raise, try to get vacation time or whatever. Somebody else gets it. You don't. You feel like you deserve it. Or maybe somebody cuts corners. They, they slack off at work. And now you have more responsibility because of their mistakes. Or maybe the whole company is suffering reputation. Clients have been lost because of something that a few people did. Because that's how life is. People's choices impact us. People we can't control can do things that affect us. A lot of people in families, they don't feel like they're good is ever good enough. Like maybe their siblings get more praise or, you know, more privilege or, you know, they, they get away with things that I could never get away with. A lot of spouses feel underappreciated. And uh, in all these situations, you can start feeling like this isn't right. This isn't fair. And then if you're a student, which most of us have been, some of us are, some of us will be, you've probably had the experience where you study hard for a test and you, you put in a long hours and you, you say no to fun things to go get your grade. And then you take the test and you get like a C or a, you know, not a great grade. Somebody else comes along. They haven't studied at all. They're playing video games all night long, you know, Red Dead Redemption until 3 a.m. They get up, they go take the test, they get an A because they cheated. This happens all the time. I work at a high school and cheating happens all the time. That's not fair. I mean, you you pick it, any area of your life. The things that uh, happen, a lot of times, the interconnection between us and other people, their choices can really hurt us. And so when you're facing situations that you don't think are right and you don't think are good, uh, it's very tempting to start shifting your perspective in such a way that you start actually opposing God. You start actually choosing to rebel against the structure that God has established. You know, um, unfairness is, is uh, it's, it's so common that, that, that businesses, they, they use it as a theme to, uh, to sell their products. This is a commercial, short commercial from an insurance company kind of playing with this theme of the unfairness in life. Take a look. We mean well, but we're imperfect creatures living in a beautifully imperfect world. Sometimes the little things get us, and other times, the not-so-little. It's amazing we've made it this far. Um, yeah, it's not fair. You know, the, the, the reality is, is that we all face these circumstances. So here's the problem. When you face unfairness, you are in a very vulnerable position. Because when you face unfairness, you are being tempted to begin to stop trusting God, stop obeying God, and begin to take matters into your own hands. That's what you're being tempted to do. To judge the situation in such a way that you've determined this is not right, this is not fair, this is not just, and you've got to take control to protect yourself, to protect whoever it is that you want to protect, to make the thing happen that you want to happen. And when you do that, 
you're actually getting close to committing a sin, which is usurpation. Usurpation. It's not a word we use. It's in the Declaration of Independence. It's 4th of July, so it's in the Declaration of Independence. But uh, we don't use the word very much anymore, usurpation. But it's actually a description of what we're being tempted to do when we start feeling like things are not fair, like things aren't right. And it's a very simple definition. It means you're trying to take power, take authority that doesn't belong to you. That's what it means. You're being a rebel. You're trying to overthrow the king. Here's a definition. It's the act of seizing or occupying and enjoying the property of another without right as the usurpation of a throne, the usurpation of supreme power. You see, God, he is the supreme power. And he has responsibilities over all that he's created. And two responsibilities are very important to us when we start feeling like things are unfair. They are judgment and executing justice. Now, here's a photo of uh, Lady Justice. And you've probably seen this before. She holds two things, scales and a sword. With scales, she judges. And with the sword, she executes her judgment. And those two symbols, scale and sword, are symbols of power and authority that belong to God. He's the judge and he's the executioner. And when you start feeling like, man, this isn't fair, you start being tempted to take his place, to take the scales and to take the sword and to decide that you're going to bring about fairness in this situation. You're going to bring about justice in this situation. Now, I'm not talking about your responsibilities God has established authority structures. He's put people in positions of authority to rule over areas of life the way that he rules over all. In a way, authorities on this earth are like God's staff team. That's one way to think about it. And that means as a parent, it's my responsibility to make sure that my kids treat each other fairly. I can't be like, well, God's the judge. No, it's my responsibility to ensure that my home is fair and just. If I'm a boss at work, it's my responsibility. If I'm a politician, it's my responsibility. You get the idea. But God is the one who established this structure. And when I'm under authority, when I have a sibling that I think is treating me unfairly, when I have a coworker that I think is treating me unfairly, when I see something unfair in any circle that I'm a part of, what I'm supposed to do is appeal to the leader. I'm supposed to go to the leader who has the role of scales and sword And say, here's the situation, can you help me here? I'm supposed to appeal to God. That's the appropriate place to go when I feel like things are unfair. But that's not what I'm being tempted to do when I start thinking it's not fair. I'm being tempted to take it. And that's usurpation. That's rebellion. And when I do that, I'm actually raising myself up and I'm taking God's place and I'm opposing God. And the Bible says that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so this is, the, this is the reason why this lie is such a problem. Because when we try to take the scales and take the sword, it actually causes more problems in our lives. This happens all the time. Every rebellion in the history of the world is usurpation. Somebody decided that that guy's not good, he's not fair, he's not just, he's not right, and I'm, I'm going to take it. And it almost always ends worse than it started. So what are we supposed to do? Like when we feel like things are unfair, what are we, what are we supposed to do? What does God want his people to do? Well, to answer that question, we're going to look at a king named Jehoshaphat, who lived about 2,800 years ago. He was the king of Judah, God's people, and he faced something very unfair. But his response, it was perfect. And we should do what he did. 
If we'll do what he did, we'll get what he got. And what he got was fairness. He got justice. He got blessing. He got the promises that God has made because he didn't commit the sin of usurpation. He didn't grab the scales. He didn't grab the sword. He played his role appropriately. And so we're going to learn from him how to do that. So the story starts in Second Chronicles 18. And the story is there's a northern kingdom. You can see a picture here of Israel. The northern kingdom is ruled by Ahab. The southern kingdom is ruled by Jehoshaphat. The northern kingdom is called Israel. The southern kingdom is called Judah. The, the nation of Israel snapped in two because of some very bad leaders. And so the king in the north is wicked, and the king in the south, Jehoshaphat's pretty good king. You know, he's a mixed bag, but he's a pretty good king. So Jehoshaphat, he does something very stupid. He makes a deal with this bad king, Ahab, because he's worried that all the nations around him are going to take him over. So he's trying to make treaties. Instead of trusting God to protect him, he's trusting Ahab to protect him. So Ahab says, hey, hey, bro, let's go fight that guy. And Jehoshaphat joins him, even though God warned him, if you go fight that guy, you guys are going to lose. So they go and they fight that guy. And Ahab dies, just like God said he would. And Jehoshaphat, he goes back to Jerusalem. And when he gets there, God sends him a prophet. And here's what the prophet says. But Jehu, the son of Hanani, the seer, went out to meet him and said to King Jehoshaphat, Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Nevertheless, some good is found in you. For you, Jehoshaphat, destroyed the Asherahs out of the land. And you've set your heart to seek God. Jehoshaphat lived at Jerusalem. That's the capital. And he went out among the people from Beersheba in the south to the hill countries of Ephraim in the north. And he brought all the people back to the Lord, the God of their fathers. So he made a mistake. He made a bad decision. He trusted in this king, but he repented. And he spent years reforming his country. His country was worshiping idols. He was worshiping other gods. And he began to establish political leaders and uh, governors who were teaching the people to obey God's commands. And he was turning the heart of his nation back to trusting the one true God. He's doing a good job. You know, he's being a good king. And then all hell breaks loose. Right when he's doing a good job, something hits him that's extremely unfair. Now, here's a picture of the nation of Judah by itself. And you'll see around the nation of Judah are three nations, Ammon, Moab, and Edom. And all three of these countries decide to team up and attack Judah. And they don't just attack Judah. They cross the sea. They go across the river and they get right into the heart of Judah. And that's when he finds out that his nation is under attack, when this army is in the heart of his country. So it says, after this, the Moabites and the Ammonites, and with them, some of the Mayunites, that's that's the guys in Edom, guys in the south. Some of the Mayunites, they came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom, far beyond the sea. And behold, they've already gotten to Hazazon Tamar. That's an Engadi. They've already gotten to the heart of the country. Now, this is really, really frustrating, I imagine, because this guy's been trying to be a good king, do a good job, turn the hearts of his people back. And what happens? He gets invaded. I'm sure he was thinking, this is not fair. And what's more unfair about the situation is who invaded their country. You see, these three countries, Edom, Moab, Ammon, if you could pull back up that picture for them to see it. These three countries are on the border of of the promised land. And a long time ago, God made promises to these three countries' ancestors. These three countries come from two dudes, a guy named Lot and uh, a guy named Esau. And a long time ago, God told these two men, I'm going to make your people prosper. 
So when Israel was going through the land to come into the land that God was giving them several hundred years before this, God said, don't hurt these people. Don't kill Edom. Don't kill Moab. Don't kill Ammon. Don't go to war with them. Leave them alone. God showed them mercy. And how does how did they repay God? How do they repay God's mercy? How do they repay God's people? By betraying them, by ambushing them, backstabbing them. Now, I don't know if you've ever been betrayed or backstabbed, but boy, it's, it's, it makes you angry. It makes you afraid. It makes you want to get revenge. It makes you want to grab the scales and grab the sword and make it happen. And I imagine that's what Joseph had wanted to do. I've experienced this before. To be honest, I've been on both sides of the story. Maybe you have too. I've, I've been Ammon, Moab, and Edom. To my shame, I've, I've betrayed people. And I've been the one receiving it. When I was uh, starting off um, my career after I got out of college, I was a swimming and water polo coach in a, a high school in Riverside. And it was really important to me that I did a good job because I was trying to get a full-time teaching job at this high school. I was about to get married, trying to start my career. You know how it goes. And uh, I was coaching this girl's water polo team. And um, this girl I coached, she decided she wanted to get kicked off the team. She didn't want to play anymore. She hated water polo. She didn't want to play. She started. She didn't want to finish. But her parents told her, you got to finish what you started. you got to finish the season. So she came up with this scheme. She's going to get so belligerent, so toxic, so rebellious that I'm going to have to throw her off the team. That's her plan. So she's not showing up to practice or she's showing up late. Or she's mouthing off, or she's refusing to do this. Or, and no matter how much we talked to her, no matter how many chances we gave her, she just got worse and worse. And finally, we had to cut her. And that's when all hell broke loose for me. Because her mother decided that she was going to get me fired. She didn't tell her mom that she had tried to get kicked off the team. So her mom turns out to be a teacher in the school district with all these connections and all this influence. And I'm the new guy coaching the girls' water polo team. So she goes to my athletic director. Then she goes to my vice principal. Then she goes to my principal. Then she goes to the assistant superintendent. Then she goes to the superintendent of the school district. All of them to accuse me of all these things so that they'll fire me. And the whole time, I am a combination of terror and anger. Because she's taken my reputation and my livelihood in her hands. And I want to grab the scales. And I want to grab the sword. And I imagine that's how Jehoshaphat feels. And I'm sure in the past, that's how you felt. Maybe you feel that right now. And I promise you, you're going to feel that one day in the future. So how should we respond? This is how Jehoshaphat responds. And it's the, it's the right response. It says in 2 Chronicles 20, Then Jehoshaphat was afraid, and he set his face to seek the Lord. And he proclaimed a fast throughout Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. He doesn't go to Ahab. He doesn't go to the king of the north. He doesn't get on his generals. How could you have let this happen? What were you doing? Execute my general. He doesn't freak out and run off to the, to the coast and take a boat so that he can, he can live in exile. He turns to God. This is his reaction. When he faces unfa- un, uh, unfairness, his reaction is to turn to God in prayer. This is what we have to learn how to do. As God's people, if we will learn how to respond to these situations with faith by turning immediately to God and praying, God will come into our situation and work for our good. If we don't, he won't. Because we're his kids and he wants to teach us. Like a good parent, he wants to be invited in. He wants to be included. And he wants to develop us. And so we have to ask him to come in. And it seems simple, but oftentimes I don't. 
my immediate reaction is to protect myself or go after people or, you know, uh, vindicate myself or prayer, humble prayer. And here's what he said. Oh, Lord, God of our fathers, are you not the God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nation in your hand is power and might so that none is able to withstand you. Wow. He is reminding himself the truth he knows about God. God is big and strong. In the chaos, God is in control. God, you, you see everything. You're the boss. You got all the strength. Help. This is the right response. He goes on to pray, O Lord God. <clears throat> oh no, continue to go down. And now behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt and whom they avoided and they didn't destroy. Behold how they reward us. By coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. These people you told us not to touch. We didn't touch them. And now look how they repay us. Oh, God, will you not execute judgment on them? Will you not execute judgment on them? Will you not use the scales and the sword that belong to you? Then he goes on to say something really, really smart. We are powerless against this horde that is coming against us. We don't know what to do. But our eyes are on you. We don't know what to do. But our eyes are on you. You know, as adults, we feel like we have to be super competent. And we do. Like we have responsibilities that we have to be competent with. But I heard somebody say something I think is very wise a long time ago. And what he said was, is you're always a three-year-old before your father in heaven. It doesn't matter if you're 68 or or 92. You're always a child in relationship to God the Father. Always. And you are often in circumstances that are just too big for you. And when you are, you have to say, I don't know what to do. But my eyes are on you. And notice what Jehoshaphat says. He says, will you not execute judgment? You have the scales. You have the sword. I'm appealing my case to you. This is the right response. It's not to grab the scale, not to grab the sword, but it's to put our case in God's hands. Put our case in God's hands so that God will act. And that's what God does. So he goes on and God says, he sends a message to Jehoshaphat through one of his prophets who says, Jehoshaphat, you will not need to fight this battle. Stand firm, hold your position and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them and the Lord will be with you. This is the constant word from God. If you've been here over the last several weeks and you've heard the different enemy thoughts that we're looking at, God always says the same thing to everybody that he's calling to act. I am with you. You're not alone. I am big enough and I'm strong enough and I love you enough to work in this situation. But they turned to him. They called on him. They didn't usurp his authority, which is what our enemy is trying to get us to do. They waited on him. And so, after consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness. And they went out at the head of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. And as they began to sing, as they began to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, the men who were invading Judah. And they, def- they were defeated. God defeated them. How did God defeat them? Well, he says, the Ammonites and the Moabites, they rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. 
the backstabbers backstabbed. Shocker. And after they finished slaughtering the men from Mount Seir, Moab and Ammon turned and destroyed one another. So when the armies of Judah came to the place that overlooked the desert and they looked out over this vast army that was coming to destroy them, they saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. No one, not one, escaped. So Jehoshaphat and the men, they carried away the plunder they found among the great, uh, they found among them and great amounts of equipment and clothing and articles of value, more than they could take away. There was so much plunder that it took three days to collect it. This is amazing. God made what was unfair, fair. The very swords they were going to use to murder the people of Judah, they used to kill each other. Now that's justice. I like that. I like that a lot. Now, God turns their doom into blessing. You know what's funny? I was thinking about this. (laughs) Where do you go to get a loan in the ancient world? This is not a knock-knock joke, right? If you're in the ancient world and you want to build up your kingdom, you know, repair the walls and, you know, refit your army and stimulate the economy, where do you go? Is it like a venture capital group that you can find? Like, you know, a, a, a federal bank system right in the heart of the Middle East? No. The way that empires rebuilt their economies was they conquered other countries. They they stole their gold. They stole their grain. Right? They enslaved their people. And that kind of stimulated their economy for 20, 30, I don't know, whatever, a while. Then they go conquer somebody else. That's how. They were parasitic. It was like Game of Thrones times a thousand. But what happens here? How does Judah get a little economic stimulus package? God allows this army to come to Judah. He wipes them out. And now they have so much money, it takes three days to carry it away. They get new uniforms, new weapons. They get to rebuild the walls, right? GDP is up. Unemployment's down. Everything's great. Make Judah great again, right? That's, that's just like a little ancillary thing. But I think that is just, look at how the bad turned out for good. But in the whole time, I'm sure they're terrified. This is so unfair. God, please save us. So as we look at this story, there are a couple key things that we need to pull out of it so that we can respond in our lives the way that Jehoshaphat and Judah responded in their circumstance. God wants us to take these truths and act on them. That's the only way his protection and blessing and work is going to come into your personal life. And your parents can't do this for you. I look out there, I see a lot of people, you're young. Some of you are very young. Your parents' faith cannot be your faith. Your relationship with God is a relationship you have with God. And so you and I and everyone here equally must apply these truths to our lives if we hope to experience the protection and the promises that God has for us. And we will, and you can, and God will help you. So here they are. Here are three things that we need to focus on. I've already mentioned them, but we'll we'll just really focus our attention on them briefly. The first thing is you have to refuse to be the judge. Let go of the scales. Don't usurp. God is the judge. Appeal to him. There are all sorts of situations where you are being treated unfairly or things aren't working out the way you want them and you have no control. You can't control the people. Or maybe it's just a good thing you want that others have. You know, why do they have the husband? Why do they have the wife? Why do they get the kids? Why do they get the vacation? Why do they have that great job? Why do they have that great schedule? Why do they get to go on this? Why do they have the house? It's easy to feel like God isn't treating you fairly in your life. I feel that way sometimes. Whenever we're feeling this way, we have to refuse to play the judge. 
we have to refuse to play the executioner. The sword belongs to God. Vengeance is mine, declares the Lord. Our job is not to judge. Our job is not to execute justice. Our job is to put our case in God's hands and carefully obey God's commands. That's our job. We appeal our case. What do you do with the judge? You appeal. You say, you know, judge, here's my case. Here's what happened. Here's what I would like. Here's what I think is unfair. Would you please give me justice? You, you appeal your case. And God wants us to do that. That may mean you need to appeal to your parents. That may mean you need to appeal to your husband if you're married. A very unfashionable notion today. But it's true. And if you appeal to the authority in your life, God begins to work in your life. Maybe appeal to your boss or to any authority. But you can always appeal to God, like Jehoshaphat did. So the best example of this that I can think of, of entrusting ourselves to God in the midst of it, is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one that God sent into this world to defeat our true enemy, to remove sin and its power over us, and to remove the consequences of sin, which is death. Jesus was sent by God into this world so that we would not have to die for the crimes that we've committed against the throne of God. If you read the Bible just a little bit, you become very aware of God's moral standard, his law, and the duty that each human being has to God to obey him, to worship him. And yet we violate this law all the time. And that makes us guilty before the throne of God. But rather than you and I having to pay the price for that guilt, rather than uh, us dying for it, God sent his son Jesus to die for us. This is both justice in that God executes and punishes the sin that we've committed in his son, and it's mercy. God does not make us pay that price. God is the perfect judge. That's why we can appeal to him. The cross shows us what a great judge God is. But Jesus, in bearing the cross, he teaches us this lesson. Because here he is. He had never committed a sin. He had never done wrong. And these people are mocking him. They're whipping him. They're beating him. They're stripping him naked, making him carry his cross. They're claiming he's a liar. They're claiming he's a usurper. I mean, they're, they're, they're making all sorts of accusations. And he never retaliates. Now, if you, if you study the life of Jesus, if you look at the first four books of the New Testament and the eyewitness accounts of his disciples, he's got a lot of power. Right. When you think of Jesus, you think of power, but he never used it. He never fought back. Why? Why did he let them do this to him? It's so unfair. It's so unfair. Well, Peter, one of his closest disciples, reflecting on what he had seen in the life of Jesus many years later, wrote this to a church that was also facing something unfair. He said he, Jesus, didn't retaliate when he was insulted. He didn't threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. Jesus was given a mission, and his mission was to give up his life for us. And so he was willing to do that to the point of death. And he trusted that his father would vindicate him, that God would make it fair, that God would give him justice, and three days later, God raised him from the dead. And in raising Christ from the dead, God was proclaiming to everyone who accused him, you're wrong and this guy's right. I vouch for this guy. I'm vindicating this guy. Everything he said about himself is true. He was vindicated. And then he was raised and given rulership over all heaven and earth. God the Father has put everything under the authority of Jesus. 
They spit on him and they mocked him and he didn't retaliate. He appealed his case to his father and his father vindicated him and put him on the throne. And he will teach us how to do that. He, Jesus, will teach us how to do that in our lives as well. And he's been teaching me how to do that imperfectly because, you know, it's me. But I've had some, I've had some on bases, you know, gotten some hits. I remember with the story about the girl in the water polo team. So she's so cocky that it's working. It looks like I'm going to get fired. And like I said, I just want to. Uh. And so she goes to a, a classroom at lunchtime where her track coach teaches. She's having lunch in her track coach, coach's uh, classroom with her friends. And she starts bragging, talking about how she got kicked off the team just like she planned it. And I'm going to get fired. And her mom's going to take me out. She never liked me anyway. She's saying this in front of the teacher. Right? He's sitting in his desk eating his ham sandwich. She's with her friends boasting. And so he just gets up and he walks to the athletic director and just tells the athletic director everything she confessed. So then he tells the vice principal, who tells the principal, who tells the superintendent. And right when the superintendent turns around and begins to look into the case, begins to consider the accusations that she's bringing against me, word comes that her daughter had lied. It was all a scheme. And I was vindicated. And they were humiliated. And I'm not taking, you know, pleasure in that. I mean, at the time, I took a little bit of pleasure in it, to be honest with you. (laughs) You know, but I know it's not good. But look what happened. I mean, God vindicated me. I mean, who cares about me and my water polo team? You know, God doesn't care about that. He's got bigger fish to fry. No, God is involved. And the whole time, he was encouraging me through a verse that I had been um, reading in my personal devotional time. It was Psalm 37. And uh, this was how God told me to put my case in his hands. Because he says it again and again and again in the Bible. You know, if you read the Bible, you're going to hear this message over and over and over again. Put your case in my hands. Put your case in my hands. And in Psalm 37, he says, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn and the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. And then he says, be still before the Lord. And wait patiently for him. Do not fret when men succeed in their ways, when they carry out their evil schemes. Don't worry. Wait. Trust me. And so I wanted to retaliate and I wanted to defend myself, but God kept me from it. And he vindicated me. He vindicated Joseph, Jehoshaphat. He raised Jesus from the dead. This is what God will do for you. The same God yesterday is our God today and tomorrow. And so the question is, what will you do to apply this to your life? Where are you feeling like things are unfair? Now, listen, you may have things that happened in your childhood. People wronged you. They hurt you. They mocked you. Or something bad happened that you didn't feel was fair, and it has wounded you, right? It's made you a little bit more cynical, a little bit more hard-hearted. Maybe you don't trust as much. There are things in our past that wound us, wound us, and we walk in the present with almost like a limp because of the damage that they've done. And God wants to help you heal from that, from the past unfairnesses, if you will apply these truths to your life. In your present, when you face unfairness, God wants to help you. He wants to come into your circumstance like he did for Judah, if you will apply these things today and in the future. For those of you who are fathers, who are the head of your homes, we have to teach our kids. I mean, moms too, but especially dads, to teach your children how to look at their circumstances and to say, God, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. 
and to learn how to respond to unfairness with faith, to appeal to the authorities in their lives. If we teach our kids how to do that, they'll carry that on into their future. So here's how we apply it. Here's how we put it into our life. I have a couple next steps you can take, and I'd like you to pull out your connection card if you would. The first one is this. You may want to read again 2 Chronicles 18 through 21. If you don't have a Bible or you're not familiar with the Bible, hey, no problem. 2019. Take out the phone. Google 2 Chronicles 18. You can read it in any translation you want, in any language you want. If you read this story to yourself, God will give you the encouragement you need to see your situation, your unfairness, the right way. Maybe you need to memorize 1 Peter 2.23, right? So that when you're going through injustice, you can respond the way Jesus did. And he'll teach you how if you ask him to. Something else you can do, and I'd really encourage you to do this. It's a little bit more, but I think it's a good exercise, is you can write a letter. Take out some paper and a pencil or a pen and actually write a letter to God, appealing your case to him. Whatever bad thing happened in the past, whatever unfair thing is happening in the present, write out your case to God the judge. Tell him what you want. Tell him what you think is fair. Tell him what's happened. And end the letter with, I trust you to give me fairness. I trust you to give me justice. I trust you to do good for me. And then sign it, seal it, and put it away. And wait patiently for the Lord to work in your circumstance. When we do these things, when we apply these truths to our lives, God helps us avoid these enemy lies. He helps us choose faith instead of fear. And we continue to take steps towards the good promises that God has for us. The good life that God wants to give you and your families and people who come down the line from you. And so I hope that today you've been encouraged to look at your unfairness in this way. And now as we wrap up and we begin to sing, let's, let's pray and ask God to help us apply these truths to our lives. Would you pray with me, please? Father, you are just. You are good. And you're merciful. Our sins deserve punishment, but you and your love sent your son to bear those sins for us. I pray for everyone here today who has never accepted this substitution, who has never called on the name of the Lord Jesus, that you would help them to make that decision. I pray, Father, for all of us as we try to face our lives with wisdom, that you'd help us to see this attack coming at us, the it's not fair attack, and that you'd remind us of what we learned today from your word and help us to call on you and wait on you because we know that you'll be good to us as you have been in the past, you'll be in the present and into the future. And we pray this in Jesus' name.